life became what anyone would expect to be normal. I moved to Greenville, South Carolina to be closer to my steady and reliable, albeit underpaying job, and to be closer to my girlfriend, who is quickly becoming the focus of all my free time. I moved into an apartment that I would never have dreamed of being able to afford just months before. Walking distance from the downtown district, shared with two other professional young men. By most standards, in a matter of months I had gone from almost homeless to stable and rooted. This is Girl Found. My nights were spent in the emergency department, where I thrived and rose in my responsibilities and knowledge. My days were spent in horse country, either in a cottage in the woods, doing daily chores, or involved in the events and responsibilities of an equestrian boyfriend. Life was expected, reliable, stable. I had a place I belonged. And in all the overpowering, deafening static of normalcy, the little cry of authenticity was drowned out. Not only was it drowned out, but in the rare moment it whispered to me, I did anything at all to push it back down. Authenticity was a threat to my life. If I admitted that maybe Jesus didn't completely take away who I was, my life was in danger of crumbling. I'd have to admit that maybe my newfound religion outside of Adventism wasn't as powerful and transformative as I had internally accepted and outwardly propagated. My relationship, which was everything I had ever wanted to combat loneliness, would have dissolved into a little pile of ashes. My living situation would be at risk. My friendships at work would turn hostile. I had carefully crafted this life, and admitting that sometimes I wished I was a woman would put me back in a low-income apartment that smelled of weed and eating ramen three times a day. Jesus taking away my queerness was best-case scenario. So I drowned it out. But the irony of life is that things still crumble. In May of 2018, my relationship ended without explanation. My job started to become frustrating, and I realized just how little I was making. Things became strained with my roommates. Into this silence of renewed abandonment, I remember screaming into the sky, of someone who is supposed to be listening. I thought you said life was supposed to get easier if I let this go. I thought you said I'd be happier. This was, of course, still my fault. I wasn't listening well enough. I must have been a bad boyfriend somehow. I must be rude to my roommates. I must not be doing my job well enough. I needed to be better. And because of that, I deserved the destruction of my personal life. Jesus was still standing there, waiting for me to get my shit together so he could offer me the perfect life again. It was right there, and I was too busy being a fucking mess to accept the perfect gift he had waiting for me. Because I couldn't ignore it anymore, my identity became a series of tiny concessions. It was impossible to ignore that I was attracted to some men as well as women. 
That meant I must be bisexual. I opened up my tinder to men as well as women. It was a little crack in the cement that I had poured, feet thick, over the abyss of self-identity. In November, I matched with someone who changed my life more than any one person ever had, or will. There's more to this story, so keep listening after this short break. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Unclockable. Unclockable makes feel-good, gender-affirmative products for femmes by femmes. They exist to help you be you and wear what you want. If you haven't seen it for yourself, their tuck kit is euphoric. With Unclockable, your tuck is swim-proof and gym-proof and will never show a panty line, so you can securely express yourself, live your life, and keep your parts private. Whether you're new to tucking or have been doing it for some time, Unclockable is something to try out. Right now, you can get a home try-on kit for just $12.95, and U.S. shipping is included. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their first order. Just go to unclockable.com forward slash girl found, or use the code girl found at checkout. Unclockable. Be you. When you're seen, good things happen. Unclockable's tuck kit has been life-changing for me. I wouldn't be able to express myself with the level of confidence, bravery, or just feel damn hot without the tuck kit. It never slips, it's medical-grade adhesive, and once it's on, it's on. I've been able to go to the beach, wear leggings confidently, and all kinds of other affirming euphoric clothing without ever having to worry about slippage, or anything else distasteful that might leave me less than confident. It's worth it. If you tuck, you should be using Unclockable's Tuck Kit. Welcome back to Girl Found. Uh, today with me, I have Emily Fincher. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Good. Uh, thanks for jumping on, like, literally two hours ago, agreeing to this interview. So I have nothing better going on in my life today. So <laughs> Somehow I don't believe you, but... <laughs> I might be telling a lie. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you are more important than the things that I had going on currently, so... 
thank you. Wow. Yeah. I, I feel so lucky. Um, I feel very special. So uh, if you were at our um, season three launch party, which we really haven't talked about on the podcast much, then you would have met Emily uh, because she was so kind to introduce me. And it was a lot of fun. We had a blast. Uh, thank you, everyone um, who came, listeners, new listeners, non-listeners. Thanks for coming. Uh, and if you missed it, um, catch the next one next year where we celebrate all of the grafting podcasts. So uh, that aside, um, let's talk. Let's do this. <laughs> so um, <laughs> how are we friends? We are friends because, oh, wow. How are we friends? Oh, wait, no, this is a test. Okay, give me a second. <laughs> Let me think. We are friends because you shot a session with Brianna West, who is a local hairdresser in Greenville, South Carolina, and I had known about you wait, you have? through Instagram. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't know that part. <laughs> I'll just randomly oh, stalk no. people. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you better watch out. <laughs> Listeners, watch out. I'm stalking you. No. Um, and we just became instant buddies. And you had great energy that I really enjoyed and wanted to be a part of. So oh. now we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. And then we just, like, after that, we kept running into each other. We mm-hmm. go to the same coffee shop. Mm-hmm. We're always around each other. Um, and, Yeah. Now we're here. I'd say, like, the last three months, we really became, like, good friends. Yeah, we were, like, acquaintances, and then Mm -hmm. it kind of evolved into this, hey, I run a podcast, and, you know, I have a business as as well, so we kind of merged the two, and then when you started working on the season three um, event, you came to me with some questions, and it was a complete honor to help you out with that. So, yeah, now I feel like we're at a, Mm -hmm. we're at a, I don't know. Plus, like, life stuff. Just bad life stuff that we've individually gone through has yeah. made us get pretty close. You were able to open up about some things that have happened in your life, and it kind of mm-hmm. helped me open up. Because I'm not very vulnerable when first when people first meet me. I'm not like, okay, anyway, here's a bunch of my trauma. I'm usually <laughs> just like, I'm the funny one. I'm the outgoing mm-hmm. one. I've got nothing wrong in my life. But I felt that there was this sense of trust and respect coming from your side, which made it easier for me to be more vulnerable. Vul- mm. That Vul- word. Yeah. It's a good word. Yeah. Spell it. V-U-L-N-E-R-A-V-L-E. That was really, really good. <laughs> I was trying to like quiz you. Fourth grade spelling this. So no, you, like I said, you built this sense of trust and respect for me as a person mm-hmm. without really knowing me. So it kind of helped me become more vulnerable with you. And I think great relationships, platonic, non-platonic, whatever they may be, is built on respect and communication. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel comfortable even speaking mm-hmm. with you on the podcast today. <laughs> well, you're really easy to talk to. Ooh. And the day that we had the shoot, I came home and told Caroline, we're going to be friends. Watch. Like, I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> um, so I'm glad we did. Um, so talk to me about... Uh, some of the stuff that people don't um, look at you and realize when they first meet you. Um, tell me a little bit about your young teenage years. Oh man, <laughs> zero to a hundred, real quick. A zero to a hundred. Let's let's get let's get it going. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I was a lot like myself today. 
just younger, I have always been outgoing. I want to be the life of the party. I want to know what's going on. I want to have a bunch of friends to hang out with. I never want to be a homebody. I loved experimenting with clothes and fashion and figuring out who I was and really had no problem in doing that. People would look at me with, you know, a blazer, dress, gauchos, the sequins bag. You remember the sequins bags? Come <laughs> on, too. let's go. And the gauchos. The like, gauchos, man, with uh, the flip-flops, with the mm, platform flip-flops. Mm. But for me, I was like, oh, I don't care what people think because I'm, like, really having fun. Of course, you know, I did have my days. But, you know, in a sense, I was, quote-unquote, rebellious just because... I grew up in a very small, conservative town, and my father was a pastor growing up, so I did have a reputation to uphold to. Mm. Personally, I don't understand quote-unquote reputations. I think that they're more of a classification of a person rather than the actual person, Mm. and I caught on that very young. I would say around like eight years old. I remember having a huge epiphany yeah, at eight. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but just thinking I don't want to be a person that people expect me to be, especially when I don't understand it. Well, as PKs, we're very aware, pastor's kids, we're very <laughs> aware um, of the public eye. We're very aware of people watching us from like, as oh, soon as absolutely. we're like sentient beings, oh my gosh, we know yes. that we are in a fishbowl, like we are being watched. And so I think it makes us very self-aware. And that's why I had trouble being vulnerable mm-hmm. is because I'm supposed to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm the PK. I'm the golden child. I'm, <laughs> you know, Emily Fincher, little goody two shoes, who's never done anything wrong in her life. We all know that's a lie. <laughs> So growing up was so hard because I wanted to talk loud. I wanted to dance. When I was really young, I'd like run around the house naked. And my parents were just like, wow, we're getting our asses handed to us. And I'm like, I'm so glad it was me. So, um, except they didn't say ass. They, no, no, my booty. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) (laughs) so it was my teenage years were, a time for me to experiment, but I also felt like I wasn't given the chance to really experiment. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I I resonate with that. I'm very sure you. D- in a yeah, very, very, in a different, very closely, in a different yeah. form, in a different way. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was the quiet child, but still, there was an expectation. Oh, there yeah. were um, standards, but they were all focused on what we looked like to everyone else, mm-hmm. how we behaved to everyone else. Yeah. The, the standards that we were held to were because we were supposed to be a role model. We were supposed to be an example to well, everyone else. It's hard, I guess, for families, too, who are who have parents who are PKs, hmm. because it's like the whole family has to be like that mm-hmm. as well. So it was everything from how we dressed down to how mm-hmm. we sat in the pew mm-hmm. on church. Or, Heaven you know, forbid you whisper during the service. Heaven forbid I, oh. like drew on the little mm-hmm. tithing card mm-hmm. as every because children were supposed to pay attention and we God were the example <laughs> oh right oh right and yeah. going to sunday school and being treated differently mm-hmm. in sunday school it i always thought that was weird like why was i treated differently from the other kids in sunday school but now i'm like oh it's politics mm-hmm. yeah 
It's, so, so growing up, I did realize my privilege as well. I'm a white woman. I'm in church. Maybe it's that. But it also came down to like, oh, it's politics of the church. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I still, you know, know that I have it really well living in America, especially as a young white cis woman. But now it's just different. It's like, how can I take that privilege and not shine a light on it myself, but shine a light on others with that? Mm. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I've been navigating this change between teenage years to young adult Mm -hmm. to oh wow i'm actually an adult (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i pay taxes (laughs) oh i know um so let's talk about this transition a little bit from um young from teenage years to young adulthood yeah um you have the standard you're just a little bit of a of a rebel um in your young adulthood did you like when Tell me a little bit about graduating, moving on to college. Yeah. Um, were Did you still hold yourself to that standard? Did you go off the deep end? Talk to me a little so bit. So I think that. that, especially with PKs, people are like, oh, you were wild, weren't you? You broke all the rules. You were, you went off the deep end, didn't you? And I'm like, no, like you live in this bubble for so long you're afraid to leave the bubble because what's going to happen when you leave the bubble yeah the default is to just stay with what you know exactly and i think that's why it's really hard for people to leave the church or leave Mm -hmm. cults because or leave a toxic relationship what's outside of that this Mm -hmm. defines who i am i am Mm -hmm. this but growing up i always thought this isn't me i'm not happy Mm -hmm. i graduated high school went to college graduated college after college, I was like, I'm not doing this. Being home was triggering for me. It mm-hmm. made me feel very unhappy. I was very depressed. I felt like I was living in a space where I was, again, not being respected mm-hmm. at all. Which wasn't something you were getting a lot of in any area of your life at the time. No. Were you? No. And that hurt my feelings. But like I said, I've always been outgoing, charismatic. The free spirit. So people just thought, oh, it'll roll off her back. Like, she's got this. But behind the scenes, I was like, wow, I'm really sad. Like, this this actually hurts my feelings. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot to actually hurt my feelings. And that I think that was the first time where I was like, wow, this is what pain feels like. And this really cuts deep. And I remember... Wanting to move out and looking for apartments and telling my family, hey, I'm moving out, you know, love you, but this needs to happen. And they're like, okay, bye. Hmm. It was not a, oh, we're going to miss you. Oh my gosh. You're like, we want to congratulate you. I I didn't get a lot of congratulations. We're so proud of you. Words of affirmation. It's not my love language, but I still feel like Humans need that, mm-hmm. especially from your parents. Mm-hmm. That's why I make it like a life goal now that I'm a mother to tell Rivers all the time, I am so proud of you. You are so brave. You are so strong. You are so loving or the opposite. You are absolutely wild because <laughs> he is. But it was hard because it felt like I was leaving and no one cared. It was like my leaving was going to be better for them rather than worse for them. Hmm. And that hurt coming from your own parents. Hmm. I didn't expect this huge party or here have $500 
and let us help you take you shopping. It was just a, I guess we'll go to Target with you. Yeah. All right. You want us to help you move in? We can't help you move in. We're not feeling well. Oh, you want us to come over and have dinner with your roommates and her parents? Uh, well, I'll come, but your dad's not going to come. It's just, it was stuff like that that just made me feel like, what am I doing wrong? Hmm. And I'm going to do everything it takes to prove to them that I can have my life together. Hmm. So that's where a lot of that perfectionism comes from, mm-hmm. is me wanting them to be proud of me and tell me that they're proud of me without having their hands on any of it. Hmm. I wanted to create something so amazing that they were finally like, wow. We have a great daughter. She is amazing. We never want to stop talking to her or finding out more about her. But the more I grew up, the more I realized I was only hurting myself more by doing that. And I was destroying my mental health by doing that as well. Hmm. And that was really hard for me to come to terms with. And it involved a lot of therapy, a little bit of an eating disorder. (laughs) No, I... it caused a lot of um, what happened to be my anorexia. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot of therapy for me to realize that my deeds and what I do do not create perfectionism. One more way that, one more attempt to prove to them that you were worth what they weren't giving you. Yeah. And at a point, it became maybe if I'm sick enough that they'll actually see mm-hmm. what's wrong. My dad didn't. My dad has never even said the word eating disorder in his life. He was the one who came into the kitchen, threw an apple on the table, threw an apple on the table and looked at me and said, why can't you just eat this? Hmm. Now, my mom, on the other hand, she is a caring person. She feels like she can't sometimes just by the way that she's been in a relationship with someone, my father. Um, She really helped me through my eating disorder a lot. And I was really able to tell her how I felt. Mm -hmm. I felt comfortable telling her how I felt Mm -hmm. because I was tired of dying. Mm -hmm. I was tired of going to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to ever face that again because Mm -hmm. it was the darkest part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I told her I was just like, Hey, mom, I love you, but this is killing me and you're killing me. And I told her so many times, I'm not putting the blame on you. I just want you to be more aware of what happened and how I felt. And there is so much that we could dig into, but it ultimately helped open her eyes a little bit. We did regain a little bit of our relationship, but as any relationship happens, it ebbs and it flows. And to this day, it still ebbs and flows, but I still don't think that I'll ever have that big moment from my parents. We're so mm-hmm. proud of you. You did it. You're mm-hmm. working so hard. Sure, they might text me from time to time. You're doing a great job. Okay, but are you saying that just because you're my parent? Or you're saying it so you can have something to text me? Because I know that you don't actually care. Mm. (laughs) So it really does. It hurts. Mm. It hurts. But it's also nice to know that I can 
reclaim that through my child. And people think that I'm a little overbearing or the overachiever mom or psycho for bringing a bounce house in for a two-year-old's birthday party. That's the best part of the party. So much fun. (laughs) I didn't get in it, but you know, who cares? But for me, the reason I work so hard for Rivers is because I never had that growing up. And I never want him to feel the way I felt. Ever. I want him to come to me with all of his problems. Or I want to be intuitive enough to know when he's going through something and doesn't want to tell me. No matter what it is. It could be something from, I told someone that they're ugly to I'm doing hard drugs at anything. And I'll be like, okay, let's work through it. Let's work through it together. Because I didn't have that growing up and I really needed it. Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) I'm sure you know. (laughs) Um, So um, transitioning from young adulthood to adulthood, um, how did your religious experience change through all of this? So, you know, you have this gold standard, you're held to it growing up, and now... um, now you're seeing that the the people that you associated with this religious experience up till now um, probably don't demonstrate what you were taught the religion shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're trying to balance those two things. Um, but I imagine that it changed the way that you see religion, the way that you see um, the God that you were taught. You you sound you look like you're ready. I'm like, okay, do you guys have seven hours? No. Um, so wow, that is number one, a loaded question. <laughs> and one that I've never been asked before. So I love speaking on it because I never want to feel like the way I present this conversation about religion as uh, what you're doing is wrong, <laughs> what I'm doing is right. It's more, it just works for me better and I'm happier. Growing up, like I said, super religious. I was involved with a Presbyterian church. It was very legalistic. I had to follow a lot of rules that I did not want to have to follow. And it got to a point where I felt that no matter what I did, whether it was right or wrong, I wasn't going to heaven. Like... Why do I have to work so hard not to lie sometimes? I'm five years old. This is so much pressure. Now let's go to 20 years old. Why do I have to wait till I'm 21 to drink? This is so hard. Why does... And if I drink, I'm going to go to hell unless I ask for forgiveness. But then the older I got, the more questions I have. Because I... I love curiosity. Does it kill the cat? Nah. Cats have seven lives. We're fine. It was more like, so you're telling me a person can go all their life sinning, killing, destroying, then on their deathbed, two minutes of four. All it takes is a little All it takes is a, God, Sky Daddy, I am so sorry for all my sins. I'd like to go to heaven. What? And I magic. Just like that, he grants the wish and you're in heaven with the golden streets and the, oh, it's malarkey. Oh, it's a bunch of shit. Oh, it's a bunch of shit. Then there's the church politics that I spoke on earlier. When you're in your young adult life, especially in a megachurch, I won't name them. 
If you're from Anderson or Greenville, you should already know them. Why aren't you married? When are you having kids? God will bring you a boyfriend. So are you dating anyone? Oh, you're dating him? Are you in love with him? Why is there so much pressure to get married at a young age so I can have sex? Really? Mm, I have thoughts on purity culture. I think it's bullshit. I think it's so stupid. I think in order to create a safe conversation around it, we need to actually have a conversation about it. Not that, oh, it's so demonized and we'll send you to hell and you're imperfection and now you're this dirty rag and you're no longer clean. Hmm. Now we live in the age of COVID. Everything's dirty. <laughs> Everything's so dirty. So, so purity culture was a big part in you. Oh my gosh. I was so afraid issue. to even like get near a boy for such a long time, mm-hmm. especially in college where I started figuring out the types of guys that I were into and then seeing them, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I can't look at them because I'm going to think about wanting to be with them. Not sexually, but just like mm-hmm. hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. But if I think about them, I'm not thinking about God. And if I'm not thinking about God, then you know that's a sin I have to ask for forgiveness for. Mm-hmm. I was tired for asking for forgiveness about breathing. It felt like that. It felt like if every step I was not taking didn't glorify God, then I wasn't a good enough Christian. But then I'd go to church and hear these sermons about, oh, you're a great Christian no matter what. But you also don't tithe enough and don't have sex. And we don't even talk about masturbation. God forbid that. (laughs) God, I mean, I never heard those words growing up. So when I got out on my own, after college, I was still at Goody Two Shoes. I was a little afraid. You know, I would experiment like, what cocktail do I like? Ooh la la. Ooh, I'm going to go on a date with a guy who's not a Christian. Mm. Mm. Big steps. Big steps, people. You know, I was really living life. I'm pretty sure that's a one-way ticket. Oh, it is. Don't worry. Yeah. It definitely was. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The more I started doing those things, the more I found myself being happier. Mm. And my goal in life is just to be happy where I'm at. You can't choose to be happy a lot of times, so you've got to find happiness in your current situation. And if I'm not going to find it, I'm not going to thrive. I did not thrive at all when I was a child. So I made like a pact with myself. Like when you grow up, you're going to be happy or you're going to find those steps. You're going to find those people. You're going to find your style. You're going to find the people you like, the people you don't like, etc. I think it was um, probably after... A lot of my um, stuff with my eating disorder, because that took up a chunk of my life that I really just had to step away, but it also showed me that religion isn't for me. Hmm. I am, I don't consider myself a Christian. I don't consider myself religious, but if someone believes in God, that's great. Oh yeah, I did too at one point. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's for me. And I think Christians get real... Christians get so mad. You don't, you used to, but you don't. That means you still do. He'll come for you, girl. He'll be knocking on those the doors of your heart sooner than you can say, you know, mashed potatoes. I'm like... Don't fight me because I know how you girls like to tussle. I know how you girls like to tussle. Don't they tussle? 
I mean, I've had my DMs. <laughs> God still <laughs> has his hand on your heart. I'm like, if he had his hand on my heart, I think that I would be in a better situation. Next. Mm-hmm. Next. So as you departed from religion, um, you talked about um, the fact that you felt yourself thriving and, and yeah. happier. What did you notice about yourself? Um, what do you like about yourself more now? Uh, Hmm. without religion than you did before with? I like the way I am allowed to think more openly. Hmm. I wasn't allowed to believe in crystals, incense, any of that stuff. I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter as a child. Let's just, let's just put that into perspective. I remember having it, I checked it out when I was in Fourth grade, fifth grade, I checked it out from the school library. Oh, not me. Oh, la la, scandal of the year. I brought it home, and at dinner, I had it at the table, and my mom goes, what's that? I said, oh, my goodness, Mom, it's this new book. It's about magic. It's called Harry Potter. She's like, absolutely not. There's only one magic in the world, and that's God. And I was like, but it's a book about <laughs> anyway, um, I like the way I'm able to think more openly. Mm-hmm. My parents have very harsh thoughts about the LGBTQ plus community and people of color that they have express- expressed in the past that I have talked to them about. A little bit of guidance. Hey, maybe it's best we don't say those things about these types of people. Because did we forget our entitlement as well while we say those things in the comfort of our own home? But it's the comfort of God's home. So it's okay, right? Because we can just pray for forgiveness after we say these horrible things, correct? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, as long as you ask for forgiveness. It's okay. So. It just yeah. wipes it away. Clean as snow. <laughs> no, it was... More like, wow, I get to be whoever I want. Mm. If I can want to experiment dating a girl, I can do that. If mm-hmm. I want to experiment dating a person of color, mm-hmm. I can do that. And guess what, Mom and Dad? I don't like white men. Sorry, every white man. If you're listening to this, please get out of my DMs. You don't have a fighting chance. <sighs> and they do try. Oh, my they? gosh. Every single day of my life. Yeah. That has to be the best part, actually. No, I'm just kidding. It's actually the worst. Um, I get to be unapologetic. Mm-hmm. I get to be loud. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm loud and I'm working on it still at the age of 29. Why are you working on it? Because sometimes you got to... <laughs> You gotta read the room, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you gotta read enough. the room. But you're allowed to take up space. And you're I'm allowed place. to take up space. I love that. Yes, that's the exact wording because especially when, you know, if any of the listeners are recovering from an eating disorder, that's one term I would hear in recovery, especially when I was in the treatment center. It was a live-in treatment center. And I remember one of the counselors just being like, you can take up space. And my eating disorder voice it's a legitimate voice was just like no you're not allowed to do that that's the reason i'm here i'm gonna quiet you just like your father quietened you when you were a kid 
So do we see how this all comes down to how I was raised? Mm -hmm. um, I love who I am now. I love who I am. I love being compassionate. I love deciding who my friends are and who deciding, deciding who my friends aren't. I love being a mother. I love owning a business. And it's so hard. And I'm not saying, hey guys, I'm a single mom and I love my life. It's hard, just as anyone else lives might maybe hard, but I don't feel like I'm walking on eggshells anymore. I don't feel like I have to prove myself. I'm still working on that one too. And I feel like I can just live and that's enough for people. You know, mm -hmm. I can just breathe and someone's like, good job. And I'm like, fuck, I wanted that for my mom and dad. What the fuck? I'm getting it from the family that I've chosen today, including you. And I like that. And I'm proud of myself. And I like my higher power better than I had when I was a kid. My higher power was God, a God. I believe that there are, you know, different gods that people believe in. For me, my higher power is myself. I was created for myself. Do I believe that I create these magical things in my life that are just gonna be perfect? No, I believe that if I'm not happy, then I've gotta reevaluate re what's going on in my life. I've gotta become grounded. You have grounded. the power and the responsibility to change that if you aren't. Exactly, exactly. Without this overbearing, are you doing it for the goodness of our higher power no I'm not anymore I'm good I've been there done that got the therapist I'm good <laughs> mm -hmm. stay tuned for the new official girl found t-shirts <laughs> been there done that got the therapist <laughs> this trademark special it. thanks to Emily Fincher oh my gosh uh, <laughs> just cut me a portion of the braces <laughs> <laughs> no I like who I am and it's so funny because <clears throat> when I had that shift, the people in my life growing up were just <gasps> Emily Fincher. Our Emily Fincher, our great, amazing little girl. Why am I not great existing as I am? Why does it have to be bound on my religious experience or who I marry or what my job is? or my career path, what school I go to, why can't it just be me? And I found that finally, and it's so relieving. I can take a deep breath of fresh air and exhale it and finally feel there was no bound to it. It didn't stop. No one stopped it. My anxiety didn't stop it. I was able to take it by myself because I've created a life for myself that I like, that I decide, and there's nothing overbearing it anymore. And it's really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time. Oh my God. Okay. So, so sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's cool. Um, so uh, you mentioned being a mom. Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, oh, we are running out of time. So I'm going to ask you to be much? a little bit. No, you. How much time do we have left? Uh, like 30. Okay, yeah. we're good. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about motherhood. Let's um, do it. Let's talk about adulthood for you. Uh, it, 
you departed from Christianity um, on this path for happiness, um, and you didn't always find yourself there. Um, there was a, a period of time where you were anything but happy. Um, can you talk a little bit about that chapter, but also can you talk about how your parents handled that chapter? Well, I think that the, that chapter really happened, like I mentioned, when my eating disorder was most prevalent in my life. I've always had it growing up, and I just didn't realize what those signs were. When I felt like I couldn't have control of my own life or who I was as a person, that's when it shifted. That's when it became the most important thing to me. I was going to do whatever it took to get noticed, to get the praise, and I don't care who I took down with it, including myself. And whew, what a hard subject because I remember being in the treatment center and in, it was in Brevard, North Carolina. It had just snowed. We were in art therapy and me and my rebellious self took my cell phone out of the closet because we weren't allowed to have our cell phones. And I remember calling my dad. I just wanted to call my dad. I just wanted to talk to my dad. I called him. We talked a little bit. I asked him, hey, like, how are you doing? He has some medical issues that have always been ongoing in his life. And he kind of discussed them. And then I'll never forget, he said, the difference between you and I is you can get help for what you're going through. I'll never have help. And I remember feeling like so defeated. He doesn't care. He just told me he did not care. He didn't ask, how's art therapy today? What did you guys talk about in your one-on-one? -on -one? Have you made any friends? You're getting your help, you're fine. I'm never gonna have that help. I was so upset. I immediately got off the phone and I went upstairs to my room and I started crying because I felt like I was finally at this place where my parents are gonna notice me and he's gonna have this big moment of realization. My child is sick, I gotta be there for her. And it was the opposite and it broke my heart. It made me feel like I really was nothing. I was not important. My eating disorder voice was already spitting that out to me daily, daily, every second. But now he confirmed it. And I, I went through some really dark moments in my life. That one really takes the cake. Um, I remember, I didn't even bring it up in therapy. I couldn't, I couldn't look at that. I still really struggle to this day with that. It's really hard for me to bring up my dad in therapy. I don't want to talk about it because I know how bad it is. And I'm afraid of getting sick again. 
I don't want it to be, okay, round two of me trying to prove because I've got to set that boundary and maybe I can heal from that later and I really would like to, but it was really hard to know he just doesn't care. I remember he picked me up after I graduated from the program that I was at and it was him and my mom and it was about an hour and a half drive. He did not speak once during the entire drive. Of course, I was so proud of myself. I was like, I gained X amount of weight back. Um, I'm finally, I finally am, my stomach's growling again. I know when I'm hungry, I'm not afraid of white rice and oranges. The voice isn't as loud. I, I was so proud of myself and I just felt like every time I opened my mouth, the air became thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And I just stopped talking. And then I didn't talk for the rest of the drive home. And then um, I got to their house and I stayed with them for a couple months after I graduated and it was really weird. It was really hard because I was still struggling, but now I was back in my childhood home where it, it all happened. So I was equipped. I had these coping mechanisms, but I have to present these coping mechanisms in a place where I'm completely triggered no matter where I look. I felt trapped. So that's when I was like, I need to get out. I need to get out of this house. I need to be on my own. I need to go somewhere else. I need to live somewhere else. I don't care where it is, who it's with. I need to go. And I did. And I did. It was the best decision I've ever made because I, I felt like I wasn't truly healing until then. One of the most important parts of my recovery, not just from my eating disorder, but from my childhood trauma was why I was fighting. My therapist brought me in for a session when I was in Brevard and she looked at me and she kind of shook her head smiling and I'm like, hey girl, what's up? We're fighting eating disorders today. Let's go. I would make it a joke. You know, I have to make it a joke. You have to when you're in really deep heart therapy. So she looked at me and said, I'm going to just ask you one question and I need you to answer it for me. Don't ramble, don't try to laugh it off, answer it. I said, hit me, hit me, let's go. Therapy, let's do it, let's heal. And she said, why are you fighting your eating disorder? My first thought is, duh, because I wanna prove something to my parents, right, duh. But then I started really thinking about it because that's the easy answer. She already knows I answer. I knew she was gonna tell me to dig a little bit deeper but I wanted to dig first. And I thought, because I want a child. Because I wanna be able to carry a child, I wanna be a mom. I was a nanny for three years. It was the best job I've ever had. It was the hardest job I've ever had. It proved that I wanted to be a mom. I was ready to be a mom and I would do whatever it took to be a mom. And I didn't know that whatever it took was going to ultimately be recovery from an eating disorder. I'd lost my period for a really long time and I remember the doctors told me you're stepping further into infertility than you realize. And I remember being in that therapy session and that was one of the first things I thought of was that doctor's visit 
and I of course broke down and into tears and told her I want a child I want to be a mom I don't want to live life without ever not having that experience because I had it in a way by being a nanny but I wanted it for myself and I just look back now and I'm like it's possible wow it's really possible to recover from an eating disorder obviously there's no th full recovery it's still a daily struggle um but I just look at my beautiful son and I think you have no idea what it took for you to get here and that's why I'm gonna fight every single day to make sure that he has everything I did at one growing up because I'd never want him to have to fight that ever if he has to fight my same battles I know he probably will in different ways he's two and it breaks my heart that he'll ever have to go through this ever you know breaks my heart and that might be that overprotectiveness on my end but I also realize I can't be overprotective because my parents were and it ultimately destroyed me I love being a mom. I love being a mom. I hope to have so many other kids. It's, it's the best. Yeah. And, oh, <laughs> you know, I thought like talking about my eating disorder would make me cry, but it's my son. <laughs> Your eating disorder wasn't the only thing that you had to overcome. You said that you would overcome anything to be a mom and it's not the only thing that you had to overcome um you had to get through even more and some things that you're still recovering from absolutely um, can you are you okay talking about absolutely that? legally i'm not allowed to talk about some things but um i never like to lead I never like to lead with this when I meet people or even a guy that I potentially want to have a romantic relationship with because I am very proud of myself of where I am in my life, but I am a single mom and that has a stigma around it, which is they don't have their life together. They did something bad. Why can't they get it together? Why are they taking up space? And they are thoughts that immediately take me back to my childhood. Which is why I work really hard and I never like to ask for help. And I never want to ask for help or, hey, can I borrow $30 to get me through the week? I don't have anything to eat. Or, hey, my car broke down. Can you come pick me up so I can go take it to the shop tomorrow? You know, stuff that's actually happened because it makes me feel like I'm taking a step back from my parents being proud of me. I still want it. You know, to this day, I still want it. I don't know why. So I feel like when I have to ask for help, it puts me back in that situation. On top of that, being a single mom is not easy. Social media is so fake, right? <laughs> It's my job. It's literally my job. I own the marketing business, but it is so fake. It's so calculated. It's all for money and for show. 
I've been working on being more vulnerable on my social media presence, especially as a single mom, because I like to show, we had this grand party, it was so much fun, everyone came and he has so many gifts and we're so happy. Because that morning of his party, I was crying. Was I gonna be able to afford groceries the next week? Did I fuck up again? Is he gonna be okay? All these thoughts. And if you're a mom and you're listening, you understand those thoughts of, are we going to make it? Or is he going to be okay? Am I going to be able to afford this next week? Okay, in 10 years, when he is this age, what where, where do we get? Oh gosh, I've got to start a college fund for him. When he starts driving a car, what if he gets in a car? All of these thoughts constantly circling in my head. On top of on top of the thoughts that are why on top of the thoughts that are it's not just those thoughts it's also the thoughts of was I not good enough and was my son not good enough did we make a mistake did I make a mistake did I do something wrong? Was I not pretty enough? Was I not outgoing? I wasn't successful enough. Is Rivers not cute enough? Is he not advanced enough? Does he not have what it takes to have a father figure in his life? So it's really overbearing. And I am on medication. Thankfully, another privilege that I do need to keep in check every single day. And it's hard. When I told my parents I was pregnant, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I text my mom. And I was like, hey, I'm coming home for Thanksgiving. I've got something to talk to you about. And she immediately knew. She immediately knew. She was like, okay. A text back okay and in my head I'm thinking she knows and of course she does she's mom we're so intuitive we know we know and I remember I took her back into her room um, at my parents house and I looked at her and she looked at me and she said you're pregnant and I said yes I am six weeks pregnant the next statement out of her mouth was are you on birth control and that shattered me because again it goes back to the you could have prevented this just like when a christian sins they can prevent it you can, why didn't you pray for forgiveness? Why didn't you take birth control? Why didn't you just eat the apple? So much pressure. She goes, are you going to keep it? It. And I said, I don't know yet. I don't think I do. You have to keep it. Because all of a sudden now, it's a matter of, religion it was always a matter of religion so we go from aren't you on birth control you have to keep the baby 
So something that stops a baby, all of a sudden doesn't matter because we have to have the baby. Big double standard there. Um, I did not tell my dad. She told my dad. I asked her to tell my dad because I couldn't. And she says he handled it well. I don't believe her. Um, and it took a really long time for them to get to the point we're at today. They were not happy with me being pregnant. My mom was happy. You could tell she was excited. She was more excited, I think, to have a grandson, which I understand. Um, my dad didn't ask any questions. He didn't go to the gender reveal. He did not go to the baby shower. He did not care. And that hurt because I didn't have a father figure for Rivers and I felt like I didn't have one for myself. Where was I going to bring it? Where was I gonna find that? Who's gonna teach him about potty training? I don't know how to potty train a kid or excuse me, a boy. I don't, I don't know. I'm texting my guy friends going, when you pee, do you stand up or do you sit down? Can you put your actual penis in the bowl while you pee? Can you pee and poop at the same time in the same bowl? Like I'm asking out of pocket, really strange questions. And my guy friends are like, baby, are you okay? Like, no. <laughs> No, no, I'm 29 I'm weeks pregnant. I don't know how I'm going to potty train my son. <laughs> um, and I still struggle with it today. I still struggle with that thought of, am I lovable? Because I have a kid. That's a huge responsibility. I remember, I mean, before Rivers, I remember going on dates with people. And if they were, if they had kids, I'd be like, ew. <laughs> The rose. <laughs> oh, I learned that lesson real quick. Um, and I, I have dated a couple of people since. And um, it has truly opened my eyes to the type of person that I want to gravitate towards romantically and the person that I want as a father figure for my son in the future. And it's hard. It's really hard. You can't casual date anymore. And I think I'm a little too old for that, too. It's just me. I can't just drop everything that I'm doing and then go have a, you know, late night drink at 11.30. I can't do that. I used to do that all the time. I used to go out. Do you want to go do this? Yes. We're going here. You want to? Yes. This weekend we're thinking, yes. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's be a part of everything. Try everything. And now it's more hard because, or excuse me, it's harder because I... I'm stuck at home with Rivers and I have to ask all my friends to come see me and that makes me feel like I'm putting a burden on my friends and I've lost a lot of friendships because of that which hurts because I didn't want my son to define my relationship with my friends but unfortunately it does define who I am and he is who I am he is a part of me he is a whole he was a missing piece I tell people all the time he was my missing he was my missing piece. It wasn't a man. It wasn't a relationship because people were shoving that down my throat growing up in the church. It was a, it was a, it was a child. He's changed me in so many, many great ways. And it's so hard. Every day is very hard and I'm so stressed out and I have bad anxiety. Every morning when I wake up, I'm just thinking, is Rivers, is he, is he sleeping or is he breathing? What if we die tomorrow? What if our car breaks down? What if all of a sudden I have nothing to my name? It's me. I have to. I have to. I have to do it. And it, you can't even help but look at him and know that he's 
you that he, he is. <laughs> oh, it's so. <laughs> he, oh, baby. <laughs> there's no question. Yeah, there's no question. You could put a thousand kids in one room and you will know where Elliot Rivers Venture is. <laughs> he will let you know. That boy loves to be the center of attention. And one thing I've been really working on as I grow up, and even today I was thinking about it, is this thought of attention. Growing up, my parents, my teachers, grown adult figures, she's asking for attention. She's begging for attention. She loves to be the center of attention. People today would still look at me and go, Emily Fincher, oh, she wants to be the center of attention. And I'm like, it's true. And I started thinking about that because I'm like, because I was thinking, is attention that bad? I don't want to be known as attention seeking. I don't believe I'm attention seeking. So I think about Rivers. He's attention seeking, but he's also a child because he, he's young. He doesn't have a fully developed brain. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I finally came to the conclusion that it's not attention that I'm seeking, it's respect. And I've been going about it wrong for most of my life because I wasn't allowed to ask for respect as a child. So it manifested into attention because I just wanted to be seen. I just wanted to be cared for. When you speak, you want people to listen. I want them to understand why I'm speaking. I don't want to just throw out empty words to people. My father is great at empty words and empty promises. Oh, I could tell you all the things that he's told me he was going to do for our family. That never happened. But I want the words I say to provoke thought, to be a hug to someone who needs it, to matter because anyone can talk all day. But what truly matters are those pieces that we take and we think about, I could have a conversation with you and you could say one word and I could really relish on that word and just think, that word, I like that word. Why did she say that word? That word was really important to me. Why do I like this word? How do I manifest this word more in my life? It only takes one word. I don't like meaningless conversations. Now, does that mean I don't like to have a little kiki? No, we like to have kikis. It's just, I want my ma words to matter. And I think that's because I'm tired of people thinking that I just need attention. And I want the same for Rivers. I don't want him to crave attention all his life. I want him to know that he has it. Undivided. Mm. No matter when. But he also has my respect. Mm. But he also has to respect me. <laughs> Which we're <laughs> learning at the ripe, ripe age of two years old. <laughs> at the beginning, you were talking to me a little bit about um, the expectations that you had placed on you as a mm. child. Um, and your parents were the voice that you were expected to listen to the most. Yeah. Um, and later in life, you figured out that the voice that mattered the most to you is yours. Yes. And that life is, is about listening to your voice. Yes. Growing up, the thing that you wanted to hear most from the most important voice in your life was that, um, they were proud of you that they um that they respected you 
Um, so I just have to ask the voice that's most important to you now. Are you proud of you? I don't think that I'll ever reach a point where I'm truly proud of myself. I'm way too hard on myself. And I'll never stop being hard on myself. Because I want to push myself every day. That might sound like, oh girl, take a chill pill, read a book, touch some grass. <laughs> I am proud of myself in some ways that I'm not proud of myself in other ways. And I think that I have finally hit a place in my life where I'm learning how to be truly proud of myself. There are very few moments where I sit back and I think, I'm so proud of myself. But it did happen the other day. I was driving up to my house and it was a gorgeous day. So beautiful. The sun was shining like right on my house. It just looked like this picture perfect moment. And I sat, no, I stood in my front yard and I just thought, wow, I've come so far. You did that. Two years ago, my parents kicked me out while Rivers was three months old. They just didn't like me being there anymore. I was a burden. I was too much to care for. Two years later, I'm walking into a two-bedroom house that I get to create memories of, that my son and cat run around in every single night, that I share dinners with, with my friends, nights in with rivers, watching a movie, or nights by myself where I cry, or I manifest, and it's really fucking awesome. And I never want anyone to think, ah, she's making it look so easy because it's really not. If you know me personally, I complain all of the time. My life is hard. I had a kid. Oh my gosh, I had a cat too. Think about getting a fish too. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I love my little circus. But to answer your question, I'm working on it. I'm working on being more proud of myself. And I think that one day I might reach a time where I can look back on my life and be completely proud of myself. But right now it's a little hard. I'm still healing from a lot of the trauma that I grew up with. The trauma I don't remember. I'm eating disorder trauma. I'm still going through it. I'm still going through postpartum depression and the trauma that is birth. Giving birth is the most incredible thing that I have ever done. I want to deliver a baby a million times because that feeling was just so euphoric and I will never, ever forget that moment. But it was, it was traumatizing. I remember sitting with, I didn't have my newborn. He was in the nursery. He um, had a collapsed lung. He had to be on the CPAP. They took him to a nursery. I wasn't allowed to hold him. And I remember being in the hospital bed alone. My mom had left, my friends had left, and I'm sitting there, it's like three o'clock in the morning, and I'm just like, um, what, what do I do next? I need help. I don't ask for help, I need to ask for help. And so, the more I go through life, 
the more I'm learning that it's okay to be proud of yourself. It always felt like a sin growing up because I wasn't allowed to do anything unless it was for God. Well, I don't believe in him anymore. Oops. So now I'm not, I'm not doing it for myself because I don't want to create this sense of ego, this sense of I'm better than you, this sense of I am the higher power because that will destroy a person. It's more learning that being proud is not prideful. Being proud is truly a sense of reflection and seeing how far you've come and looking at a job that you've done and congratulating yourself. And it's hard for me to do that when I sought that congratulations from my parents for so long and to know that I'll never get it from them because I'll always want that at the end of the day. I could be 60 years old and still want that. But I'm learning that I can show up for myself. I can be proud of myself. I can throw the ridiculous parties with the personalized cookies and party favors and bouncy house. I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to take up space and I'm allowed to be proud of myself. And I think that I'll get there one day, but it's not gonna be today. And it might not be tomorrow, but I think that the active work getting there is just as important as the end goal. I'm incredibly proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> See how I'm like tense? I'm like, okay, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Liar! <laughs> you're lying! No, I am. I, I, I am. And I know that you know, as someone who also equally has trouble receiving that, that, you know, internally there is an argument going on right now <laughs> dealing with that fact. But, I mean, thank you for being vulnerable and, and sharing this story. I know it's not easy to talk about. I want other people who might be in the same situation to know, like, they're not alone. And vulnerability is hard. Being proud and showing up for yourself is hard. Recovery from an eating disorder is fucking hard. It's not impossible. Baby steps. Life is not a marathon. It just takes these little steps day by day, second by second sometimes. I used to live hour to hour during my day. That was a baby step because now I'm here able to live through multiple hours in a day. You don't have to get to the finish line and there's no expectation. And if you need someone, I want to be that person. I want to be that person. I want to be that person who's proud of someone else who might not find that from their own family. I'll be everyone's mom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming on here. Thanks for talking with me. You're so welcome. And thank you for listening to Girl Found, um, Season 3, Episode 2. I hope that... Um, I want you to pay attention to whose voice you're listening to this week. Um, and I want to make sure that the voice that you listen to the most is telling you that they are proud of you. Can I create a challenge for all the listeners? Yes, do it. Okay. Through your week, for seven days straight, 
I want you at the end of the day before you go to bed, it can be on your phone, computer, a journal, write just one thing you're proud of. It does not have to be some miraculous, incredible, I built, I got a promotion. It could be, I took a shower. It could be, I remember to take my medication. It could be, I brushed my teeth. It could be, I got through today. Just write one thing for seven days straight. And at the end of the seven days, look back at all your accomplishments. And I think that you might find that you're more proud of yourself than you really realize. And continue it if you want to, or continue it if you don't. But just seven days and maybe reflect on how you feel at the end of the challenge. This week's rec is Deconstruct Pod, um, another podcast that I listen to um, that I love. It's hosted by Lauren Deleary, a friend of mine from high school, uh, back when we both took online homeschool classes, and uh, her spouse Adam Frost as well. Um, They are incredible. I love them. I love their podcast. Um, They focus a lot on um, purity culture, um, moving towards sex positivity, um, in addition to their their experiences in CCM, um, Contemporary Christian Music, um, and exploring their own personal sovereignty. Um, They're fantastic. I love them. Their podcast is informational educational. Highly recommend it. Um, So check them out.